Hi everyone, this is Harrison Goodale, co-founder of Sustain Music and Nature, and welcome to another episode of Songscapes. This week, Charles Coughlin caught up with AJ, Michael, and John from Cincinnati, Ohio-based folk rock band The Heavy Hours to talk about their latest EP. Lead guitarist AJ kicks things off with his thoughts on what makes the lead track, Wildfire, different from other songs they've written before. Wildfire is a song, and it's also the name of our EP. Um, and it just came out August 1st, 3rd? Something like that. Yeah. Beginning yeah. of August at some point, yeah. Beginning of August. Um, it's a song that we, I don't know, It's it was it's a song that's been special ever since we recorded it in the studio. We always kind of knew that it would have a very... Um, built up release and so i think that's why it uh it it's the name of the ep and the name of the title track of the ep and yeah you know you guys <laughs> you guys contribute as well yeah this is this is michael here um wildfire you know has just been super special ever since the beginning it was probably the second song that we recorded with simon felice and david barrett up in woodstock new york and um just right from the very beginning when we were kind of like workshopping it and working through it and trying to like finish it and write parts to it. It just kind of um, from the very beginning stuck out to the three of us as a song that we felt like we were leveling up a little bit. Like we had come to work with Simon and um, he had sort of like believed in us and was like, you know, kind of pumping us up a little bit about like the record we were going to make. And for me personally, about like a couple days into workshopping Wildfire, that was when I had like a moment where I was like, oh man, this song is is a different level for us. It's a bigger sound than anything we've ever done before. And it was just super, super cool to kind of see all those, you know, different variables come together with a, with a, with a producer like that, which was really special. We had never done that before. Yeah. John here, just to tag on in the end, kind of in the same theme of what Michael was saying, like, I remember our producer said this very memorable thing when we were putting this song together in the studio. We were like kind of nervous because we'd never made a song like this before. And he's like, if we can make a huge song like this, why wouldn't we? And we're just like, okay, let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It sounds like you guys are really sort of feeling the wind in your back and kind of... um feeling some momentum on this record. I'm curious, Woodstock is such a bucolic setting. Um, when you were recording, what season of the year was it? And how much do you think that impacted the vibe of what you guys were doing in the studio? That's a good that, question, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, because we had, all of us had never, had never been to Woodstock before. And it's like, you know, you hear so many things about it, you know, that like, Bob Dylan and the band and Van Morrison all lived there in the summers in the sixties and seventies. And it's just such a music town. And to finally get up there, the very first time we met with Simon and David, it was the fall and it was like the most beautiful 
autumn day I think I've ever experienced. Like the mountainsides were completely orange and we rode around in Simon's car and just kind of talked and listened to music and just kind of like, you know, just got to know each other a little better just as friends. And then when we actually went back to record, start to record some music, it was like the dead of winter. And it was, it was just beautiful up there. Like it was just like this perfect quaint little town. And the very first time we started recording, there was probably, I don't know, two feet of snow on the ground. Like everything was just buried in snow. And I think it kind of like, I mean, just being in a beautiful place like that is always just kind of inspiring, I think for all of us, but it was extra special because like with the snow and like, we're in this little mountain Airbnb. And I think with everything going on, we just kind of felt like we were completely like cut off from the outside world. Like I honestly did, wasn't even like checking my phone for like days at a time. And it felt like that was like the only thing we truly had on our minds was to try to make a good record. And I think that really helped, you know, it would, it would be very, it would have been a very different experience to, you know, record a record in our hometown and like have to worry about being back to our families and friends after we were, got done with a recording session. So being somewhere far away up in the mountains and having snow everywhere, it kind of just like put all of our focus just on the record for me personally. Our producer, so, Simon, sorry. No, go please. Uh, our producer, Simon, uh, he, it's impossible for him to live anywhere but the moment uh, he lives so much in the moment that I'm very confident that decisions regarding this record were made based off of, you know, the way the sky looked at that moment in time, or if, there, if it was raining or if it was sunny. Uh, I think that uh, Simon and David and us admittedly very much played off of uh, our immediate surroundings in regards to what we tracked that day. Well, I mean, that's the magic of music and nature, right? I mean, if you can be present in those two things and those two things coalesce so well together when you are present, then you can make magic. And that's what you guys are talking about with, with your record. Um, Michael, you mentioned your hometown. I, you guys, if I have this right, there's you guys started playing in an abandoned house in Ohio. And I, I just like... I'm trying to picture like, did you guys like have a hammer and you just like whipped off nails and like there was planks and you had like, I want to hear about this abandoned house. I want to hear how come like you didn't get arrested or like what, what, what's, what's the story here? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Go ahead Mike. Uh, yeah. So it, it wasn't, I guess it technically was abandoned, but I guess the better word would be vacant. Um, <laughs> my dad, my dad. And we weren't in, we weren't in danger of trespassing. Yeah. No. My dad and a couple friends were um, like, I think, I don't know what was going on. Maybe they were bored, but they were like trying to flip some houses around town here in Cincinnati. And they stumbled upon this one that was in terrible, terrible shape. And they were going to try to try to flip it. But they ended up getting approached by people that wanted the property and just were going to bulldoze the house and build a new house. So they were going to sell the property, but something happened where they were going to have to sit on it for like a year and a half. And so they just owned this house that was planning on getting bulldozed in a year and a half. So we had a solid year in a house that still had electricity, 
and man, <laughs> it didn't have heat. It didn't have didn't have oh, anything else. Water. The the plugs worked. That was about it. And that's it was, all we needed. It was on this. Uh, it was on probably six acres. Didn't really have any neighbors, and so that's kind of where we like started to really work on playing music together because we just had this space where we could be as loud and as crazy. Band practice always started at 3 a.m. or something. <laughs> like, it was like, all right, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go to band practice for the entire night. Yeah, and it, it was also just like a hangout space for us to just kind of get away. But you aren't wrong. Like, we did have hammers and, and baseball bats. And, like, every once in a while, you know, we would, Fireworks. Just, we would just throw a baseball through a wall or, or smash a mirror in a bathroom because – the whole thing was literally getting bulldozed and we took advantage of every moment we had in that place to either goof off or work on records and write songs and try to become better musicians. And it was a sad day when it finally got bulldozed. But <laughs> yeah. It's very I, rock and roll. You guys, I, I witnessed Michael throw a baseball through two through a door. <laughs> you could, because through you could. You were mm -hmm. because you weren't in an abandoned house and there were no repercussions. So yeah. why not throw a baseball? It was an odd uh, feeling. Exactly. <laughs> is it true, Michael, you you learned to play in college? Is that is that true? I read that. Um kinda. So AJ over here, he uh he was always in bands and stuff in high school and I've been friends with him since grade school and He's always been a musician and I kind of like secretly learned was like playing piano at my parents' house. And I had a guitar that, that I would, uh, would mess around with and, and write songs. But I was honestly, I was kind of too shy to, to get up on stage and join AJ or try to do anything with it. And I think, uh, yeah, towards the very end of college, I kind of, uh, maybe i don't know it took that long to get some confidence or whatever and started writing songs with these two other guys and it kind of just like the confidence just kind of grew from there so i was always kind of messed around with music and learning instruments but didn't really take it seriously until college stay with us more from the heavy hours and charles after the break Ever wonder why conservation messaging has such a hard time reaching people? So did we, and that's why we started Sustain Music and Nature. We take a celebratory approach, showcasing the beauty of public lands through music. Music reaches everyone. Our mission is to make music a force for nature. When you watch one of our National Park music videos or attend a concert out on the trails, our goal is for you to be inspired to enjoy and support these at-risk areas. Public lands belong to all of us, and music is the perfect way to bring this message to everyone. Consider a one-time donation or join our Patreon to help us create exciting programs and musical collaborations that celebrate and protect public lands for all. You can make music a force for nature. Learn more at sustainmusicandnature.org. Welcome back 
and you are listening to Songscapes. So we've heard a bit about the making of the Wildfire EP, and now we'll go a bit deeper into some of the goals surrounding songwriting and working with a certain member of the Black Keys. Now, what I I read a quote um, from you guys that says you're looking for, and I quote, a sound that you want to hear but you haven't heard yet, or past tense. Um, can you describe what that sound is? Mm, I don't know. I, I mean, I very much agree with that quote. <laughs> uh, I feel like well, you should because time... one of you said it. <laughs> yeah, I'll touch on this a little bit. Like the idea of a sound we want to hear, like I feel like kind of relates to this idea of like, there's so many, there's so much great music and so many great musicians that we're inspired by from air, like errors long gone. And I guess the other flip of that is like, we also want to bring something original to the sounds that we loved and have listened to growing up. We don't want to just be um, some sort of copy version of some retro band that we all fell in love with. So I think the struggle as a musician is always to create something that's that pays homage to the things that inspired you, but also sounds new and original. So that's interesting to me because he, I imagine was a huge influence. Dan Auerbach, the black keys. I know you, you've had a lot of close working relationship with him and I'm curious of how that came about. Yeah. Uh, just as, <laughs> it came about in a way that you know I would I would not believe if somebody told me. Yeah. Our agent called us one day on April Fool's Day and said Dan <laughs> wanted to get lunch with us. He our agent was the first person to uh, hear our band, and he was the first music industry person to sort of you know sign us, shake our hand backstage, and take us under his wing. And one of the first things he did was send uh, an a CD, an album that we had recorded by ourselves in, in Richmond, Virginia. Um, he, uh, he sent that around to different manage managers and, uh, the, the management company that is in, is in charge of the black keys and Dan Auerbach, they were like, Hey, we're really busy. Uh, sorry, we don't have time for this. But, um, but Dan Auerbach himself, uh, got a hold of the songs, listened to them and said, no, I want to meet these guys. Like, uh, bring them on down to Nashville for some lunch. And when our agent called us, called us and told us that, uh, I think, I don't know. I think my body kind of went into shock and you <laughs> yeah, know, that's a just, good day. When we all that. started pacing around. <laughs> I don't think we slept until we were down in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. And then he was cool. And, and you guys have written some songs together with him. Is that Correct. Yeah, you know, we've written um, we've written songs. several several songs, but uh, only only one of those co-written songs with Dan is on this uh, this EP, "Don't Walk Away." So um, it'll be interesting in the future to see the other songs that we wrote with him, what will happen to them, and how they'll come to life. So, tell me if uh, there were any pandemic positives for you guys. Oh man, that's a great question. Yeah, the At Your Doorstep tour was a really fun thing that we did that I think mm -hmm. helped us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we yeah our man this is Michael again and our manager um, 
came up with this idea because I mean, during the I guess what you call the height of the pandemic, like the music industry was dead, like as dead as it could possibly be. Um, and I, the only thing people could do was live streams. And I think people were getting kind of sick of watching their favorite bands on their cell phones or their computer screens. And so our manager was like, well, you guys, if it wasn't the pandemic going on, you guys would be trying to get your songs on the radio stations and you'd be like going into radio stations and playing your songs for them and doing all this different stuff. So if we can't, you know, do that right now, the normal way, let's bring, bring our songs to the radio stations in the parking lot at a safe distance. And so our manager rented us an RV and we drove around the country to different radio stations and played our songs, got to do interviews with them and just kind of get our names out there and make relationships with different people across the country and end up being really fun and super positive and safe. And so that was a positive, I think, of the pandemic. I think another one too would probably be just like, we had a lot of time to sit down and write songs. We were only halfway done recording our album when the pandemic kind of hit and, um, so we still had, you know, five or six more songs that we had to go back and record. And it gave us a lot of time to think through and really refine some of the songs that we were going back and going to record. And I think some of the songs probably came out better because of that freedom we had to really like go through it like a comb. My, uh, my cat Beatrice made it heard heard you guys talking and decided to come up and now she's causing just general <laughs> havoc. Um, where um, where do you guys want to be in five years? If you could sort of paint kind of a fantasy, not fantasy, because you know I want it the answer to be grounded in reality. But like, where do you guys want to be in in five years? What are what are some of your hopes? I want to have at least two or three albums out in the next five years. I really want to, I think my instinct is to just get this band creating as uh, many, not as many songs, but like as many great songs as possible, you know, um, just having a, having a catalog and, I, f I feel like for the next 50 years, we will be searching for our perfect sound, that sound that we haven't heard yet that we want to hear. Um, yeah, I think my, my dream scenario is just more recordings. Yeah. I think my, in five years, I, I love the, the live show aspect. I've really come to like it in the past like the past six months of playing live shows it's it's just like a, a feeling that you can't get anywhere else or replicate with anything else and I think if if we've gotten to open up for some amazing amazing bands but and that it's been so fun but I think the feeling of you know going on a successful headline tour across the country and having your own fans and that your own energy that you create every night I think that would be a really, really special thing. Yeah. That'll happen in the next five months. <laughs> uh, John here. This is going to sound like some sort of cliched answer, but 
honestly, for me, it's just like, I just want to keep doing this. I want to be doing this five years from now. Like it's the band for me is already checking so many boxes for me and doing has, has gotten to a point where I never thought it would get to just being able to play with, with great bands at great venues across the country. So for me, it's just like, as long as we're do, doing something similar in the next five years, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certainly goals that I have and I, I'd love to, you know, like Mike said, play an awesome headlining tour or, you know, play, open up for one of my all time favorite bands, which we're kind of already doing here in like a couple of weeks. That's a good point. We've already, I feel like we've already reached the bus can hit us tomorrow moment a bunch yeah. of different times. You know, like the moment we met Dan Auerbach, even before we wrote any songs with him, I was kind of like, mission accomplished. I'm good. Yeah. You know? Well, it's funny too, because, you know, we're talking about the present. Then I take you guys out of the present by asking you about five years. And then John, you, you bring it back into the present, which, which is great. And, and, it, and it's a question. I think it goes with a question that I always ask um, with the connection of music and nature and presence. Um, is there a go-to song that you guys sort of have could be yours, could be somebody else's that's sort of your, kind of your connect to nature when you hear it, it kind of just brings you, brings you to that, that place. I think as a, as a group, I think individually we probably have all different answers and stuff like that, but there's like a few songs that really like bring me back to a certain place or a certain time. And usually that's like big events with the band when we were somewhere different for a long time. Um, when I think back to being in Richmond, Virginia, I remember we all as a band listened to that Stones album so much and Sweet Virginia was on that album. So that like, anytime I hear that song, I'm just like immediately brought back to Virginia. And then in, in Woodstock, we, for some reason, not for some reason, it's a great record, but we just listened to that Jim Croce record, like, five million times and um passing through pennsylvania and the changing of the leaves listening to jim croce was on the car was Mm -hmm. uh something and it was uh like box number 10 and uh, operator operator just like just all all singing that song oh man it was so it was such a cool drive too because the leaves were on fire it was like these orange and these red and just you know just the whole state of pennsylvania from ohio to new york and so anytime I hear Jim Croce, I'm just like, I can like feel like I'm literally in Woodstock, New York, which is fun. In my mind, well, I swore I'd never draw a line. You cross it every time. I said, From practicing in abandoned houses in Ohio to hunkering down in Woodstock with producer Simon Felice, the heavy hours are a band that live in the moment, but without losing sight of where they want to be. Wildfire, the latest EP, is available everywhere, so make sure you take a listen, purchase the album, and check out their website, theheavyhours.com, to see where they are playing live near you. Songscapes is a production of Sustained Music and Nature. If you like this program, please do subscribe, write a review, and give us a follow on our socials at Sustain Music and Nature. If you want to make a donation or are just interested in learning more about what else we do, 
check out our website at sustainmusicandnature.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, see you out on the trail. You and me Getting way too close to